0: Thank you for that warm welcome. (laughs) I just think we should do handouts for all services, right? Because who doesn't like to doodle? Uh, Pray with me as I go into the morning message. Come, Jesus. Let your presence be fully with us here. Help us to hear you, to understand how much you know us, care for us. Amen. So for those of you who have small children or who once upon a time were small children, you know that it takes about 20 years for the real stories to come out, (laughs) right, when it's safe. So here's one. Our third, Joe, and our fourth, Cassie, when they were young, were to have an hour-long quiet time every afternoon something they didn't relish. And so somewhere not too far into it, Joe would say to Cassie, the younger, go ask mom and dad if it's time for our quiet time to be done. Now both of them would have known that it wasn't, (laughs) but Cassie, again being younger, (coughs) would toddle off, and find us. Now we had no idea of the backstory, and this thing played out again and again across a meaningful period of time. Cassie would say to my wife and I, is it time for our quiet time to be done? And we would look at her, our sweet daughter, and we would say, no, Cassie, it is not time for your quiet time to be done. Go back to Joe. We will let you know. (laughs) And so she would toddle off and give the message to Joe, carrying with her The full complement of umbrage, of upsetness that should have been shared amongst their little group, right? For years, we thought that in this one little domain, Cassie was the uppity one, the rebellious one, the one, the, the one chafing at constraints. And so she carried that thing that we call, you know, don't kill the messenger in this case... Don't be mad at the question asker. She carried that whole compliment of upsetness with her. Which is of a kind with the story that we're going to encounter with Jesus this morning. Where someone speaking a question of anxiety on behalf of the group bears the brunt of the response of Jesus. Jesus. But we, all these centuries later, get to be grateful for their temerity to ask such a question. So this is from the Gospel of Luke. In the middle of a journey of Jesus, one town to the next, to the next, to the next. It starts like this. Jesus traveled on throughout cities and villages, teaching and making his journey to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord... Is it the case that those being saved are few? So this is a question that is spurred in this person by proximity to God. It's not a question that you would sort of ask your neighbor as you're walking along, not a typical topic for conversation. There's a sense that Jesus is different, that he is unusual, that he carries within himself Godness, or at least proximity to God, based on what he says, how he talks, what he does, the kinds of actions that he performs. And so he triggers in this person an anxious God question. It's a question that probably reflects a general apprehension in the group, but it makes me wonder for me or for you. If you felt that you were actually close to God, like God was near in a way that wasn't typical in the daily course of events, what would you think? What would you wonder? If I'm really close to God, will God like me? Maybe you would just have happy thoughts. This is great, woo, thumbs up, close to God, hooray. But my guess is for a lot of us, we would have nervous thoughts. Again, will God like me? How does God feel about me? Does God see the things about myself that I'm trying to hide from God and from everybody else? Will God give me the thumbs up or the thumbs down? Will God accept me, but kind of begrudgingly? Like, well, okay, you've sort of made a mess of life, but Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Or will God just say no? I'm sorry. And for this person, there are questions, too, then, of scarcity and power. Is this a selective admission event? Right? This would not have been an uncommon thought. It's common to most world religions, at least the possibility that an ultimately good outcome is limited. To a select few and so the question is how many and regardless of how many what are the admission criteria you know and so this person comes to Jesus thinking you seem to be pretty connected to God and so you're stirring this anxious question in me I'm wondering <laughs> I have it in my head that only a few get in and I'm wondering is that the case can you tell me the answer but more to the point probably. Given your proximity to God, can you help me? Right? It's like game seven of the NBA finals. A limited access event. Not many people can get in. And the only way you are going to get in is if you're friends with somebody who has tickets. Right? Right? So maybe, Jesus, you seem to have the inside scoop. Maybe you have some influence. Maybe if I'm nice to you in this moment, if you're in a magnanimous mood, if you're feeling good, and I ask you a question, and I seem kind and generally pleasant, and we're in the same ethnic group, same sociodemographic strata, (laughs) maybe you'll give me one of those backstage passes that's in your pocket. So an anxious God question asked truthfully on behalf of the group. Now, if I were Jesus, right, so I encounter this anxious question, and I'm pretty nice and powerful, and, you know, I have a lot of influence, and I have certain conceptions of how things work, I would just try to be reassuring. It would feel better to be reassuring, oh, you don't have to worry, no, it's a big in-group and I'm feeling good today and you've asked me so kindly and kind of obsequiously, you know, you're not, <laughs> you're not irritating in any way and so sure you're in and if you have some friends, they're in too, don't worry. That's what I would do. Right, But Jesus is not me We have this expectation of Jesus That amongst all the attributes we think he will embody He's kind of two-dimensionally sincere He's not given to provocation Or to irony Or to anything more complex Emotionally, socially He's just going to say what is the case Pretty straightforwardly But that's not actually how he works, I don't think. So I am just going to read you his response in the way that I think he would have meant it or would have communicated it, and we'll take it from there. So Jesus traveled on throughout cities and villages, teaching and making his journey to Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, is it the case that those being saved are few? And Jesus said to them, Strive to enter through Jerusalem. The narrow door. Because many, I'm telling you, will seek to enter and will not have the strength. And then the master of the house will get up and shut the door, and you'll go and stand outside and knock on the door, saying, Lord, open it for us. And he answering will say to you, I do not know you, where you come from. And then you'll begin to say but we ate and drank before you and you taught in our streets and he'll shout back at you, I do not know where you come from. Stand away from me, all you workers of injustice. There will be weeping and grinding of teeth when you see Abraham and Israel and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but yourselves flung outside. And many will come from east and west and north and south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. So listen, there are those who are last who will be first and there are those who are first who will be last. (laughs) At least we have an answer to our question. Everybody but you, who has ever existed, <laughs> will feast at the kingdom of God. While you stand outside looking in, <laughs> don't you feel bad for that question asker? <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. I just everybody was wondering, and I had the you know courage to ask. <clears throat> So I had a summer of anxiety, of God anxiety, I don't know, eight years ago, ten years ago, something like that. I think it was really triggered or stirred by what was happening in our church. Such a deep part of our story, this turn from a practice of exclusion, a non-inclusive event, to inclusive, to fully inclusive. The problem was that my religious shaping Did not permit that, did not line up with that. I grew up in a religious setting and tradition in which God was scrutinizing and glowering and excluding and, you know, assessed you truthfully. In my growing up religious tradition, there was, you had no control at all over whether you were in or not. Most were not, a few were in. But it produced in me a concept of God that just did not match up with what we were becoming. And I had to get it out of me. But the only way I could get it out of me, it turned out, was to really look into it, was to say it, to name it, to identify how it had gotten into me, these beliefs and practices that made me anxious to approach God, that made me anxious in the God space. I had to name them all. Anxiety is a horrible thing, right? Any of us who have experienced it know that you will do almost anything to get it out of you to get that feeling, to get those emotions, to get those thoughts out of you. And so we've come up with all sorts of techniques and approaches to do that. We have talking techniques, we have medicine techniques, we have self-medicating techniques, we have techniques that work, we have techniques that don't, we have techniques that produce help, some that produce harm. And at least One thing that sometimes has to happen, I think it's especially true in the God domain, is that we have to go through it to get beyond it. We have to name the things. Instead of suppressing, instead of denying, instead of minimizing, instead of pretending. We at some point have to say, this is what was in me. This is how I feel when I approach God. This is how I think God behaves towards me. And even though I kind of think it might not be true, I have to name what it is, what it was, how deeply it was in me. And so so I went through a season of this, and it made me anxious to face how I understood God. And so one evening, my wife and I were in my childhood home, the perfect place, right, sort of re-enter into all this stuff, and I just said to her, oh, we got to take a drive. And so we drove and ended up parking in the parking lot of my childhood elementary school. And just using colorful language, expressing my feelings towards all the different sources of God anxiety, and specifically in this case, God exclusion anxiety, that had filled me up. And so I look at what Jesus is doing here. It's amazing that he packages into this tight little communication every possible way of structuring God-exclusion anxiety. Well, there's a door that you don't have the strength to open, so instead of trying that one, you should go, to the narrow door. Well, that doesn't sound very hopeful. And then you'll just be hanging out, doing okay, and you'll realize the master of the house has shut the door. And in that moment, you'll feel anxious that you can't get in. So you'll go to the master (laughs) and you'll say, let me in. And the master will say, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know where you come from, which apparently is strangely important. And then you'll say, but what are you talking about? We hung out together. I came and you talked and I brought a side dish to the potluck. And the master, like a little bit unhinged, like on the front edge of dementia or something. I don't know you. Go away from me, you evildoers. Somehow you'll get in only to be flung out. And then you will watch As every single human who has ever existed, the ones in your religion who you have modeled your life on, and then from the north and south and east and west, right the grand nightmare of exclusion, everybody's in but me. And so Jesus presents to his listeners in rapid-fire succession All the possible ways that we can be anxious about this specific topic. And so a couple of things that are interesting to note. The first is that when we read Jesus' stories, we have to be careful that we don't assume that a man of power is God. Right? This still is our propensity as anti-patriarchal as we fancy ourselves to be. When we encounter a man of power, especially in a Jesus story, our assumption is God, that must be God. And so we make this into God. And the trap in this story is that power would love that. If you read this story sincerely, which you can do if you just check out the part of your brain that needs rationality and coherence, which we are more than willing to do, If you read this story sensibly, it is lovely for power because you and I as anxious parishioners who think, oh, I don't know if I'm in, power says, yeah, that is something you should be worried about, and I know how this system works. And so power uses our anxiety to control us, to dominate us, but I'm telling you, Jesus would never, ever, ever, ever tell a story in which that's the point. Jesus would never tell a story in which the conclusion is power can use your anxiety to control you. Jesus is here to free. Jesus is here to liberate. I think Jesus genuinely knows how our anxiety works. He is genuinely here to release us from it, but sometimes we need to face it. Now, thankfully, he's not always like this, right? I mean, part of how we know that I don't think this is what Jesus actually thinks about how stuff works is he says something like this. This is in chapter 14, where his close friends are having abandonment anxiety. Jesus is about to leave, and they're saying, what? We were just getting started. We don't know what to do without you. And Jesus says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Have faith in God and have faith in me. In my Father's house, there are many places of rest. Would I otherwise have told you that I am going to make a place ready for you? And if I go and make a place ready for you... I am coming again and will take you along with me so that where I am, you might be also. So I think for you and for me, as we hear Jesus, as we encounter our anxious questions, my thought about Jesus or awareness of him is that he understands you and me. He understands how we work. He understands where our anxieties come from, where our worries, our fears. Whether it's this specific God topic, am I in? How many are in? Are my friends in? How does inclusion and belonging work in the context of God? Jesus knows all the ways that that can affect us. He can both expose that for you and for me, There are actually forms of therapy that lean into this, that lean into naming things in the presence of a kind listener, right? (laughs) For those of us with phobias, the the exposure therapy, you know, you're afraid of big spiders, here's a little one. (laughs) Or just talking, actually talking it out, hearing yourself say the things. Again, with a kind listener who is not threatened. So sometimes you can begin to hear, oh, I hear how that's taken me over. I hear how that doesn't have the power I thought it did. I hear how that doesn't make sense. Or even just as I am saying it, the world is not coming to an end and I am okay. And I have inner space now to hear what's actually the case. But then I think, too, this is a core anxiety for those of us as we get close to God that we wonder about who's in and who's not am I in and am I not I am always not measuring up to me but what about to God so the band can come forward as we prepare for communion and for worship I'm just going to pray and bring us into a space close to God um and see if any of this connects with you now. So Jesus, we bring ourselves to you. (laughs) Um, Just wondering what it'd be like to actually approach you, to have the awareness that we are close to you and through you that we are close to God. What questions does that stir in us? What wonderings? Jesus, may we engage with you just how you would know us and help us. How you would reassure us. How you would reveal to us the depths of our uncertainties and worries. Being present in them with us. Thank you for your fullness, for your perception, for your presence with us this morning. Amen.